We're glad that you've come to be with us and hope you can come back and be with us again. Encourage you to get a Bible and follow along with us as we study this morning. Last week we talked about family regrets. And in that we, for the benefit of those who are not here, we talked about how often we have regrets in a number of areas of the family life. For example, communication. Sometimes in the attention we give to our mates, sometimes the time we spend with our children, or maybe Bible study and going to Bible class. Maybe in the discipline of our children, or maybe the association with non-Christians, for example, non-Christian friends or non-Christian mate. And our point was that quite often we look back after we've been in the family life for a little bit and trying to rear our family or have a marriage, we look back and we have regrets with reference to our decisions in a family. And we looked at contrast and we talked about there will be things you will never regret. For example, in communication, you never hear anyone look back and say, I wished we had communicated less. I wished we had not had such good communication. But you do hear people say something like, I wished we had communicated better. And quite often we do have family regrets. Well, someone mentioned after that lesson, I wished you would follow up with, what do you do when you do have family regrets? Good question. So what does one do now when they have family regrets? And by the way, the point of that lesson, the first one, was not to make us feel bad when we do have family regrets, but it was a preventative kind of study. So for those that are just beginning marriage, or maybe not even married yet, or just beginning to rear their children, or their children are still at home, that they can make some adjustment and they don't have the family regrets that someone else may have. It was a preventative lesson. But what does one do when they've made mistakes and they have family regrets and they, they look back and say, you know what, I've made some mistakes in the family. So wh what do you do? Are they left hopeless? Is there any encouragement when you say, you know what, I have those family regrets. I've made a lot of mistakes in my family. And so what do I do now? I want to begin by noticing that many great Bible characters have made some very serious mistakes. Let's start with the first couple. There's Adam and Eve. They made a very serious mistake. God told, gave them one rule. You can eat of any of these trees you want, but of this one you don't eat, and that was the one they ate of. It was a pretty serious mistake. And it had very severe consequences to it. They were not the only ones. Moses, great Bible character. God told him to speak to the rock, and he smote the rock. Had very serious consequence. God wouldn't allow him to enter the land of Canaan because of that. God said, you didn't believe me. He wasn't the only one. David had a very serious problem. David committed sin with Bathsheba. That wasn't the only thing he did. But because of her being with child, he tried to cover it up and had Uriah killed. Peter. Denied the Lord, even knew the Lord. I don't even know who he is, he said. Now, on the last time he had problems, in Galatians 2, he acted as a hypocrite and withdrew himself from people that he well knew he ought to be associating with. Very serious mistake. Paul, 
said he was the chiefest of sinners. He was a man who persecuted the church, and he looks back, and he has a lot of regrets about the way he lived his life. And what I'm seeing from this is, and here's the point, it is not surprising that God's people will make, mis make mistakes, and serious mistakes at that. So just because we're the people of God and just because we know the Word and just because we are encouraging others to follow the Word doesn't mean we won't make serious mistakes. We will. They have and we will in the future. Now as we talk about family regrets, we're going to talk about some major and some minor infractions. And we're going to talk in general terms. It may be the family regret that you have involves even something as severe as physical abuse. Physically abusing a child. Physically abusing your mate. It may involve a regret of looking back and, you know what, there's been adultery and, and I regret that, someone says. Or it may be a failure to communicate or maybe a lack of discipline of the children or it may be outright dishonesty where you have lied to your mate. Lied to your children. It may be a problem with selfishness. It may be a problem of failure to lead spiritually, to be the spiritual leader in the home. Or it may be that you were just absent from the family, and I put et cetera because there are many, many other cases. And when I say major and minor, there are going to be some who say, you know what, I have family regrets. And someone else says, you know what, I have family regrets too. And one's regret is that they've committed adultery, and somebody else's regret may be that they just didn't spend enough time with their children, and those are not quite the same, but they both have family regrets. And so we're going to deal with some general principles, and there are going to be some specifics we'll talk about that may not fit your circumstance if you have family regrets. So understand we're dealing with things in general ways. So let's talk this morning about hope for those with family regrets. It may be that you have made some mistakes in your family, and you say, I've got family regrets. I really have some regrets about my family, my marriage, my rearing of my children. Is there any hope for that? Or it may be that you say, you know what, I don't have any family regrets, but you may have some in the future because, again, those who are God's people sometimes make mistakes. And so what do we do about that? Well, let's begin with this. First of all, let's start with the toughest and the hardest part, the, the biggest pill to swallow, perhaps. And then we'll get to some things that are a little more encouraging, perhaps, toward the end. But here's the first. Accept what you can't change. Now, remember, we're talking about those that have family regrets. Learn to accept what you can't change. Well, what do we mean by that? You can't change history. Whatever it is that you regret, whether it's physical abuse, maybe adultery, maybe dishonesty, lack of discipline, you name it. Whatever it may be, you can't change history. You can't remove the past. You cannot remove the fact of mistakes or the fact of sin. In some cases it may be merely a mistake. It didn't involve sin, but you made some mistakes in your family. Someone else, it may involve sin in the family. The fact that sin is there, the fact that the, the mistake is there, cannot be erased. But let's go further in developing that. Let us understand that history and maintaining guilt are not the same. That doesn't mean because you can't undo the past that you can't remove the guilt of the past. There are differences. We'll establish that as we go along. 
When we talk about accepting what you can't change, that doesn't mean you give it approval. Nor does that mean you ignore the past. Accept what you can't change. What does that mean? We'll get to that more in just a moment. Let me give you an example of accepting what you can't change. David could not change his past. Psalm 51. We'll come back to this passage a little bit later when we talk about forgiveness. But Psalm 51 in verse 4, talking about his sin with Bathsheba, David said, my sin is ever before me. What does that tell you? It means he never forgot about his sin in the sense that it's a part of history. He can't undo it. He wished he could go back and undo that, but it's a fact. He did commit sin with Bathsheba, and that's always going to be a fact. He couldn't change that in the past. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. You remember before the Corinthians became Christians that some of them were fornicators, adulterers, homosexuals, idolaters. That's a pretty grievous list of sins. Pretty terrible list of sins. And that's all in their past. Now verse 11 says they've been washed and justified and sanctified. They've been forgiven of all of that sin. But what I'm learning from that, the fact that that was a part of their history, they couldn't change that. If someone were asking, isn't it true, y'all used to be homosexuals, they'd have to say, yes, we were. That's in our past. Didn't you commit adultery? Yes, that's in our past. Didn't you bow down before idols? Yes, that's in our past. They can't change history. Further, we're still talking about accepting what you can't change. You can't change consequences that go with sin. Let's go to the book of Exodus, chapter 20, if you will, in verse 5. God said in Exodus 20 and verse 5, same point is repeated in 34 and verse 7, that he would visit the iniquities or the sins unto the third and the fourth generation. By the way, that was in the giving of the Ten Commandments. You violate those and you violate any other rule or law of God, God would visit that sin unto the third and to the fourth generation. Now, I know he's not talking about the guilt because ex, uh, Ezekiel 18 said, the son shall not bear the iniquity of the father. So what's he talking about? He's talking about the consequence, not the guilt. They're not the same. So one could be forgiven of the guilt and the guilt of the sin is gone, but the consequence is still there. We have to learn to accept what we cannot change. It may be we have to live with a consequence that comes with sin. Proverbs 13, 15 says, the way of the transgressor is hard. In other words, you transgress and there is a consequence and that's hard sometimes. And the way of the transgressor is hard. We have to accept what we cannot change. There are some consequences that can't be fixed or removed. How so? Well, let's get too extreme. Here's someone who, for example, has a temper tantrum and, and they throw an object in that temper tantrum and breaks a glass, breaks the window out. Well, they can easily fix that window and it's repairing its back like it was. But here is someone else who has an anger fit and they kill someone. Well, you can't bring them back to life anymore. There are some consequences that can't be fixed and they can't be repaired. Let's go back to David. David committed sin with Bathsheba. The consequence now is Bathsheba is with child and Uriah is dead. Nothing David could do could change that. Uriah's always going to be dead from this point on and she is with child. And that's never going to change. Let me give you some examples of what we're talking about. Someone may commit the sin of adultery. And as a result, their marriage is ended in divorce. And now they repent of their sins and they say, I'd like to... 
I'd like to change my life. Okay, you can do that. But the consequence is still there. You can't change that. You're divorced now. Your mate divorced you for, for the sin of adultery. And, and that consequence is still there. You can't remove that. Here is someone, let's take something more minor than that, and let's suppose someone's problem in the marriage that has created friction is spending, and they spend, and they spend, and they spend, and now they have an enormous debt. The consequence of this, in, this improper action is they have enormous debt that they may be paying for a long time, maybe the rest of their life. And that can't be removed. Maybe it's a lack of spiritual interest that you had in the rearing of your children when, when you're young. You're starting your, your family, and, and as you're raising your children, if you, there's lack of spiritual interest, and then suddenly you have a spiritual interest, the consequence may be your children turn out of the world. Now, we're going to get some encouragement from that in just a moment, but at this point that seems discouraging, doesn't it? But that's a consequence we'll have to live with because there are consequences that go with sin. Here's another example. Maybe there's years of, of verbal abuse. And so there's been years and years the husband has just been verbally abusing his wife and his children, and he's done this year after year after year after year, and then he changes all of a sudden. Then what happens? The consequence, they're strained relationships that may never be any better. May never be any better. Except what you cannot change. So we raise the question, what could one do? But except what they can't change. Worry, setting and being all frustrated about that, will not change the aftermath of our regrets. He said, I'm just, I'm just tore up about that. I'm just worried to death about what's going to be, what, what, well, worrying about it doesn't change the aftermath of our regrets. Beating yourself up constantly is not going to improve the family. You've done some things that, that have brought destruction to the family and now you want to, you want to be different. You want to change. That's great. Beating yourself up constantly and talking about how terrible person you are and how bad you are and how bad you've been isn't going to make your family any better. In fact, it may make it worse. Here's what Paul said in Philippians 3. Remember all of his past persecuting Christians? He had been there voicing his opinion some should be killed and he watched them die like Stephen, for example, Acts 7. And yet Paul became a Christian and knew all of that was wrong. You know what he said? He said he'd learned to forget the things which are past. What did he mean he forgot? He didn't forget it in the sense it was a fact of history. He's still talking about it in Philippians 3. But he didn't hold it against himself anymore. We'll see more about that in a moment. So what am I learning if I'm going to start the process of having some hope when I have family regrets, I'm going to have to learn there's some things I have to accept that I can't change. I can't change a fact of history, and I can't change the consequence thereof. Here's secondly. Hope for those with family regrets. Secondly, seek and embrace forgiveness. Seek and embrace forgiveness. First of all, seek forgiveness with God. Let's turn to 1 John 1 and in verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We begin by acknowledging the sin before God. Now in some cases, the regret may not involve sin, it may be just poor judgment. 
But if your regret involves sin, where you have sinned so that it has caused problems in your family, neglecting to do something that God would have you to do, or doing something that God would have forbidden in your family, you begin, first of all, by acknowledging that sin before God. Look at Acts 8 and verse 22. These are simple passages we all know well. Where Simon had sinned, and he was told if he wanted to be forgiven, pray God if perhaps the thought of your heart be forgiven you. So pray for forgiveness. So acknowledge that sin before God and pray to God for forgiveness of whatever it is that you've done that's caused the family regret that you have. 1 John 1 and verse 7. Remember this passage was written to Christians that the blood of Jesus Christ His Son cleanseth us from all sin. So when I pray to God and I acknowledge to God that I have sinned and I pray to God for forgiveness, I need to believe that God will forgive me. That God can forgive me. And even though I've made a grave mistake in the family, God will forgive me of that. And that means He treats me as if I never had sinned before Him. That's what that means. Alright, let's go further. Let's consider that Genesis 39, this is an important point. What you're doing when you fix the problem of sin between you and God is you're fixing the worst part of the family problems. Get that. When there has been sin created that caused family regrets and you seek forgiveness for the sin, you're fixing the worst part of the family problems and that's sin because it is sin that separates from God. I cite Genesis 39 and verse 9. That's not talking about so much family problems. But Joseph, when he was tempted, remember what he said? How can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? That was after he talked about that your master trusts me. I would be betraying trust. You're a married woman. So, so we shouldn't do this because you're married. And furthermore, we shouldn't do this because your master trusts me. But the worst thing of it all is it is sin against God. So whatever it is that I've done, if it's sinful and it's created family regrets, the fixing of that problem, am I fixing the problem that is the greatest part of family problem, and that is sin? All right, let's go further. We're still talking about seeking and embracing forgiveness. I seek and embrace forgiveness from God, but I seek forgiveness with family. Look at James 5 and verse 16. This is talking about acknowledging sin before others. James 5 says, confess your faults one toward another and pray one for another that you may be healed. First John 1 was talking about acknowledging before God. This one is before others. So I need to acknowledge my mistake or sin or whatever the case may be to the family. See, if you sinned against your mate, and that's your family regret, tell him or you tell her you did wrong and ask them to forgive. If you sinned against your children, and that's the family regret you have, you tell them you did wrong and you ask for forgiveness. If you sinned against your parents, and that's the family regret you have, you tell them you were wrong and you ask for forgiveness. Let's go to Psalm 34 for a moment. In asking for forgiveness and acknowledging wrong, show genuine and deep contrition. That's important. Deep and genuine contrition. Not a surface contrition, but a deep and a genuine contrition. Psalm 34 talks about those who fear God. Notice what verse 18 says, the Lord is near those who have a broken heart. They're broken because of sin. 
And he saves such as have a contrite spirit. A broken and a contrite spirit. What's the difference? In a broken and contrite spirit and one that's not. For example, a man who, for example, here's a man comes in and he tells his wife he's committed adultery. But his acknowledgement of it is, I'm sorry. <laughs> this happens, I'm sorry. And acts like everything's okay. It's quite different from that of a man who has deep contrition and sheds tears over that. And so acknowledge to your family. And I want to suggest to you before we go to the next point is consider 2 Corinthians 2. Remember the man who had, who had committed adultery and finally repented of that? He had such deep contrition that Paul was concerned that he might be swallowed up in too much sorrow. Go comfort him now and embrace him and forgive him. 2 Corinthians 2. Because he might be swallowed up in too much sorrow. He was showing deep contrition for his sin. May I suggest to you that that acknowledgement alone goes a long way. I'm not saying that alone fixes all the problems, but just acknowledging I messed up, I did wrong, I'm asking your forgiveness goes a long way in healing the family regrets. Still talking about forgiveness now. Let's go a step further. Forgive yourself. This may be the hardest thing of all in family regrets. Forgive yourself. You see, that may be really hard to do, especially when you realize how bad you really have messed up. Said, I've made a big mistake. I've really messed up the family now. That may be hard to do. Go back to 1 John 1 in verse 7. Remember that we talked about a moment ago? Accept the fact that God has forgiven you. And embrace that rather than treating yourself as if you were unworthy. That doesn't help the family circumstance. Now you've committed sin and now you've acknowledged it before God and you thought God would forgive you and you acknowledge it before family and you think they would forgive but you don't ever forgive yourself. And you harbor that. And you treat yourself as if you're unworthy. Let's look at David, for example. Let's go to Psalm 51. I cited that and I said we'd come back. So here's our fulfillment of that promise. Let's go to Psalm 51. Psalm 51 is a psalm about repentance and forgiveness. David is the author. David is talking about a specific circumstance. What is that? It is his sin with Bathsheba. Terrible as it was. This psalm is about forgiveness. Notice what he says. My sin, verse 3, is ever before me, he said. I wish I could erase history, but I can't. Well, what have you done about it, David? Well, he says at verse, verse 1, Blot out my transgression. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. I acknowledge my transgression, verse 3. Now notice the pictures that he gives of forgiveness. The pictures that he gives of forgiveness. He talks about it being a blotting out. He talks about it, verse 1, a washing thoroughly, verse 2. Verse 7 and verse 10, a cleansing. Look at verse 7. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean and wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. David viewed himself as being whiter than snow now because I received the forgiveness from God. Notice that he talks about how God upholds him, verse 12. Restore me to the joy of your salvation and uphold me with the, your, your generous spirit. And I'll be useful, I'll teach others, he goes on to say. So David embraced forgiveness. I know I've done wrong, I know it was terrible. I even killed her, her husband. 
but he embraced forgiveness. He was not the only one. Paul did. Remember the one who had persecuted Christians? He was guilty of murder himself. And he would say, there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me in that day. He said, I know that. He's embracing forgiveness. He's forgiving himself. Peter did. Remember the same man who said he didn't even know the Lord? And the one who acted like a hypocrite and influenced others to act like a hypocrite? He later talks about the living hope that we have. He thought he had hope of eternal life. He embraced forgiveness. That doesn't mean now we never mention the sin and we never discuss it. And you say, how do you know that? Well, Paul talked about his sins and made a point from that. David talked about his sin, Psalm 51, even though he's embracing forgiveness and made a point about that. So that doesn't mean we never mention that sin or we never discuss it. We may need to discuss it to fix part of the problem. But if forgive yourself in the process. Here's a third thing. Accept what you can't change. Seek and embrace forgiveness. Number three, determine to change direction. If you have family regrets, you've been going in the wrong direction. So what that means is we need to determine we're going to change direction. That's what repentance means. You see, repentance involves a change in direction. All too often we see this. Someone who is penitent, and I put that in quotations, and they say, I'm so sorry, and then they do the same thing again. Here's a husband that tells his wife, I'm, I'm, so, I'm so sorry, I'm so, so sorry that, that I did that to you. And then he does, turns around and does the same thing again. And again, and again, and again. And here's the wife that says to her husband, I'm so, so sorry, but there hasn't been a change. Doing the same thing, been doing before. And here is someone who says, I'm sorry and I'm going to quit that. And they never change at all. Repentance involves a change. Let's look at Jonah 3.10. You can go, I'm, uh, I'm going to go to both passages, but I'm just going to only cite portions of each one. So go to one or the other and then I'll tell you what the other one says. Matthew 12.41, Jonah 3.10. Matthew 12.41 says, the people of Nineveh repented at the preaching of Jonah. Whatever they did, the text says they repented. Now, Jonah 3.10 tells me something else. Tells me the same thing, but in different wording. Jonah 3.10 says they turned from their evil way. But Jesus called that repentance. That's what I learned from that. I learned that repentance means to turn from evil. So repentance involves changing direction. That's all I'm learning from that. Now, I know this is not the word for repentance, but let's turn to Matthew chapter 21. You remember this story. This is the word for regret. And it means regret, even though some translations use the word repentance. It's not the same word for repent in the sense of repenting of your, your sins. It's not the same word. I understand that. But it gives the concept of what regret involves. Matthew chapter 21. A man had two sons, and he said to them, Go work today in my vineyard. And the first one answered and said, I will not. Remember that? But later, he regretted it. King James says repented. And, now what did he do? Went. So regret means you start doing what you failed to do. See, I regret. Remember we're talking about family regrets? That's what this word is. Family regrets. I regret some things in my family. All right? What that means is you start doing what you failed to do. He repented and went. He regretted and went. The text says, a change in direction. 
So that means we make a determination that I'm going to follow the word and I'm going to follow wisdom. After all, we are disciples, aren't we? Acts eleven twenty six means we're followers of the Lord. That means we follow the Lord and what he says. Why call you me Lord, Lord, ruler, if you do not the things which I say? The word of God is said to be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. And so if the word of God is my light and my, my guide, and shows me the light of my path, shows me the direction to go, then the determination to change means I'm going to follow the word, whatever the word says. Do you not realize that the best husband is a faithful, diligent Christian? The best wife is a faithful Christian. The best parents are faithful Christians. Quite often in studying about the home, we say we need to, we need to study on the home. We need to study on the family. We focus on the husband's role, the wife's role, the, the parent's role. Some of the best studies on the family are books like Ephesians about how to live the Christian life. Or Romans 12 to 16 on how to live the Christian life. Or like Philippians on how to live the Christian life. When, when you're living like God wants you to live, when you're a faithful, diligent Christian, then you're the best husband or the best wife or the best parent you can be. And so the determination is in this family, we're going to follow the word. We're going to follow whatever the Lord said. Then also look for wise direction. The prudent man foresees evil and avoids it, Proverbs 22 says. If he lacks wisdom, he asks of God. He prays for wisdom. God, I want to see wisdom. And that was in the context of being able to see some good down the line when it looks like only evil is coming. Philippians 1 talks about, in contrast or in addition to knowledge of the word and wisdom and spiritual understanding, there's more to the wisdom than just a knowledge of the word. That we understand there's a difference in that which is right and wrong, but there's also among the things that are not wrong, there is good judgment and there's better judgment and there's best judgment and then there's real poor judgment somewhere in that. Determining I'm going to change, I'm looking for wise direction. It might mean that I look around for someone who I think's done quite well as a husband and get some advice from him, how he would handle his family. I might look around and find a woman that's been real good as a wife and get some advice from her of how to be a good wife. I might look around and find someone who's done well in rearing their children and ask some advice of how they raise their children. That's seeking wisdom as per Philippians 1 and in verse 9. Now, I want to suggest to you, we're talking about changing direction still, that some remedies may be painful. We want to talk about hope. But sometimes the remedies are painful. Let me give you evidence of that. Ezekiel 10. You're talking about family regrets. They were told not to marry the pagans. They married the pagans. And Ezra comes on the scene and said, you, you've committed iniquity against God. And if they suddenly realize that, oh man, we've messed up. We've got family regrets. What are we going to do about it? Ezra said in verse 11, verse 3, verse 44, verse 11 and 3, you're going to separate from them by whom they even had children. You know, my painful. They're fixing their family regrets, and it was quite painful. That may mean we have to end a relationship that involves love. You may have fallen in love with someone that you have no right to be in love with. And the love is there. 
We're talking about family regrets and fixing them. Sometimes ending that relationship is very painful. Equally as hard, maybe starting doing something that's been in really, really hard for us to do. Maybe communication. Maybe here's the man who says, I'm not good at communication. I'm just not good at sharing my feelings, and I'm not, sh- I'm not a good listener either. So our communication hadn't been good. But he has family regrets, and now he wants to change things, and he has to start trying to do something that's really, really hard. He's not good at it. It's painful for him to do that. The point is, change may not be easy. But let's talk about making the change. What does it involve? It means you have to quit what you need to quit and have to start what you need to start. How so? If your family regret is you've been neglecting your wife, then determining to change direction is it means simply you start giving her proper attention. Pay attention to her. To her wants and her needs. And meeting those needs. If you have failed with time with your family, you haven't given them time, you've been too busy and everything else, and you haven't given time to your children and to your wife or to your husband, then start spending time with them. That's the changing of direction. If you've not disciplined your children and you still have time to shape them and mold them, then start exercising discipline. If you have not considered your mate, not been very considerate, then start considering your mate. That's what the change involves. If you've created too much debt and you're about to drown in debt, the change means you start controlling your spending. If you've not been rendering intimacy, then start being the mate you should be. If you've been the kind of mate that you've barked and hollered at your husband or your wife, then stop the barking and hollering. Determine you're going to make a change. Here's another point. Realize there's hope. Accept what you can't change. Seek and embrace forgiveness. Determine, I'm going to change direction. And realize there's hope. When when we think there's no hope, we give up. But I need to understand that people can be effective in the service of the Lord after they change. Not just before, but after they change. Even though the mistake may have been very, very great. You say, you don't understand what I did. You don't understand how bad I feel. You don't understand how deep my regret is. I may not, but I know that people can be effective after they change. David, for example. Remember how grievous his sin was? He committed adultery with Bathsheba. He had her husband killed. Turn with me to 1 Kings, if you will, chapter 9. 1 Kings chapter 9. This is God speaking to Solomon. 1 Kings 9 and in verse 4, here's what God said about Solomon's dad, who was David. What did he say about him? Now if you walk before me as your father David walked in integrity of heart and in uprightness to do according to all that I've commanded you. Is he saying, I, I just ignored what, what, what David did? No, he didn't ignore that. But David was viewed as being effective after his mistake. And so can you. Peter. Look at Luke chapter 22. 
We talk about Peter's hypocrisy. We talk about Peter's uh, his, his denial of the Lord. And before that ever happened, the Lord said, Peter, I have prayed for you that your faith fail not. Are you reading with me now? Look at verse 32. But when you are converted, what do you mean converted? He's going to deny the Lord. And he's going to have to make a change. When you are converted, strengthen your brethren. Peter, you're going to be effective after you make that change. You're going to falter. You're going to stumble. You're going to fail. But you'll be of usefulness and you'll be able to strengthen your brethren as a result of that. Evidence? He wrote first and second Peter, didn't he? John Mark is another example of that. Remember on the first missionary journey that uh, things got a little tough for John Mark and he turned back. Paul didn't think much of it. In fact, he had kind of knocked heads with Silas over that. Uh, uh, with Barnabas over that about whether he should take John Mark on the next journey or not. They knocked heads over that and they went different directions because of that. Paul lost all confidence in him. But by the time we come to 2 Timothy chapter 4, this is late in Paul's life. He said, bring with you John Mark, for he is profitable to me. Remember that? He regained confidence in him. He was useful after his change. Understand this principle. Watch this carefully. Marriage can be better after problems. I often hear this, particularly when there's been a case of adultery. I just wish we could put things back the way they were before all this happened. Sounds good on the surface, doesn't it? I wish we could put this back the way it was before all this happened. But that's not really what they want. Because the way it was is what led to the problems. I'll give you an example of that. Maybe it's poor communication. Maybe it's selfishness that led to the adultery or maybe just neglect. And so now we've been neglecting one another and there's been the, the case of adultery. And I'd like to put it back like it was before the, the case of adultery. But to put it back the way it was, we still have poor communication and selfishness that led to the adultery. It's going to happen again. We don't want to put it back like it was. We not only want to correct the adultery, but we want to improve the communication. And now the marriage can be better than it's ever been. That's my point. There's hope for those who have family regrets. They say, we, we, we've had problems and we just come apart in this marriage. Okay, you can put it back. And it can, cannot be like it was before. It can be better than it was before. There is hope for those who have family regrets. When you not only fix the symptom of the problem, but you fix the root in the heart of the problem, then things are better than they've ever been before. Now, the hope that we're talking about begins with commitment. Let's talk about the commitment we're talking about. Commitment to making the marriage and the family work. It takes commitment on the part of everyone in the family. The parents, the children, the husband, the wife. The, first of all, is a commitment to God. Proverbs chapter 2, verse 17. Talked about this woman who becomes a harlot, that she had a covenant with her God. There was a commitment she had made to God long ago. and She's violating that. I cite Romans 7, 2, and 3 because the woman which is married to a husband is bound by the law of God to her husband. There's a commitment to God in that marriage. 
The commitment is described, though he's not talking about marriage. This is Paul's personal attitude about living his Christian life. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 9. That whether present or absent, his goal was to be accepted of him. I just want to be pleasing unto God. It was his goal. That would be your goal in the marriage relationship. But not only is there a commitment to God, there needs to be a commitment to your mate. Romans 7, 2 and 3. They're bound by the law to their mate so long as they live. There's a commitment to one another. Until death do you part. That's based on the principle of Romans chapter 7. I want to suggest to you that two people committed will make a marriage work. And so here's some questions to ponder. Are you looking for grounds to keep things together in your marriage? Are there family regrets? You say, yeah, we've, we've, we've got strained relationships, all right. Are, are you looking for grounds to keep things together? Are you fighting not just for yourself, but for the family? And are you looking for common ground? Are you looking for differences you have? She's different from me, and I'm different from her. And are you looking for ways out of the marriage, or are you looking for ways to keep the marriage together? One last thing in the lesson of years. Let's talk about this. Let's talk about be understanding of others. We're talking about hope for those with family regrets. There is hope when we have understanding toward other people. Go to the book of Ephesians, if you will. Chapter 5. Respect for others in the family is necessary, especially your mate. In Ephesians 5.33, love and respect go together. Husbands, love your wives. That's emphasized numerous times, beginning at verse 24 on. 23, actually, down through verse 33. And now verse 33 says, let the wife see that she reverences or respects her husband. Love and respect go hand in hand. It is hard to respect one you don't love. And equal to that, it's hard to love someone, but show them no respect. And you see how that love and respect go hand in hand. Now, Matthew 7 and verse 12, the golden rule, suggests you treat others the way you want to be treated if the situation were to be reversed. If you're the one that's on the receiving end of something done in the family that was, you're the, you're the victim, how would you want to be treated if you were the one that was the guilty one who did the, did the harm? And then reverse that again. If you're the one that, did the wrong, how would you want to be treated if you were the victim? It tells you a lot about how you ought to treat your, your mate and the respect you show. This is basically a, a quote, though it's not a complete quote, from someone who's authored a great deal about marriage who said that contempt for other family members is the most corrosive force in the home. Get that fixed in your mind. Contempt for other members of the family is one of the most, is the most corrosive force in the home. When the wife has contempt for her husband, this is coming apart. When the husband has contempt for the wife, this is coming apart. When children have contempt for their parents, this is coming apart. You're going to have more family regrets. So what do I do? I put myself in their place. Isn't that what Ezekiel did? Remember that great prophet said, I went and sat where they sat. Was that me? I put myself in their shoes. I saw what it's like to live their life. I looked at it through their eyes. You see, look at it from their point of view. Isn't that what the golden rule is about? Look at it through your mate's point of view, through your children's point of view, through your parents' point of view. 
Look not every man upon his own things, but also upon the things of others. See things from the eyes of your mate. See things through the eyes of your children. And see how things are. Be understanding if we have hope through family regrets. Now, let's add to that. Be patient with others as they work toward change. How so? Understand change isn't easy. We described that a moment ago. Sometimes, here's a husband who says, I'm not good at communication. Or maybe it's the wife. And they know they need to make a change, but it's not easy for them to make that change. Understand, it takes time to fix some things, like communication, for example. You could repent of poor communication. You could repent of not communicating effectively. You can ask for forgiveness, but tomorrow you're not going to be a skilled communicator. It's going to take time to learn that skill. And so there may be need for help, for encouragement, and for commending. Like Hebrews 10, 24, exhort one another daily. Would that not include our family? As people get discouraged in living the Christian life, you exhort and encourage them. When they're doing good, you're doing good, but, but you need to do even better. But you're doing good for what you're doing. You made some improvement. I'm glad to see that. Why not with our husbands and our wives and our children and our parents? And do what you can to help. Let's turn to 1 Peter chapter 3. And yet, listen to this carefully. Doing what you can to help may mean you do nothing. Or better word, it may mean you say nothing. 1 Peter chapter 3. Likewise, you wives, be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, they are not obedient to the gospel yet. They, without a word, may be won by the conduct of the wise. What does it mean without a word? They're not going to be converted without the word of God. That's true. Without the word is without the word of the wife in this case. And so she's wondering, what can I do? I, I'm married now to a non-Christian husband and, and he hasn't been obedient to the word. And I've been harping on him and I've been harping on him and I've been, I've been telling him he's wrong and I've been telling him he needs to change and he hasn't changing. So what do I do? And what Peter says, listen to this carefully. You're going to miss it if you don't listen. Keep your mouth shut. Keep your mouth shut. In this case, that applies to husbands sometimes. He wants to see a change in his wife. He wants to see a change in his family. And he rattles and he rattles and he rattles. And the best thing he can do is keep his mouth shut. Say, I want to help. The best thing you do sometimes is just stay quiet. Don't harp. Don't nag. Don't create more family regrets. Say, I would like to convert my husband. He's not a Christian. And I've been preaching to him. And I've been nagging to him. Keep your mouth shut. They, without a word, may be won by the conduct. They're watching your example. You're teaching. You're preaching through your example. But the best thing you may do is simply do nothing. What have we seen? Well, there is hope for those who have family regrets. We talked about last week, that lesson was not designed to make us feel bad. It was a preventative thing in nature. And those who have family regrets would be the first to say, we need to talk about things that create family regrets so others don't share the same regret I have. But what if I do have family regrets? What do I do? 
Learn to accept what you can't change. Seek and embrace forgiveness. Determine, I'm going to make a change. Realize there is hope. There is a future. I can be useful. I can be effective. And be understanding of others. There may be one or more present who's not a Christian, who's not a child of God. Would you come believing that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God? Would you repent of your sins, acknowledge your faith, be buried in the waters of baptism for the remission of sins? If you're subject in any way, would you come while together we stand and sing?